Hey everyone, David Bowden here. Before we start the show, we have a special announcement from the team here at Spoken Gospel. As we approach our summer film block, we're filming our final introductions for our whole project on the Bible, including books of the Bible like the book of Revelation and Chronicles, and it's going to be an amazing time. And we are almost finished funding our need for this film block, and we have about $30,000 left to cross the finish line. And we are asking you, our podcast listeners, to help make this possible. So please consider supporting our mission by visiting the Spoken Gospel website, clicking on donate and contributing what you can. Whether you choose to donate once or monthly, we're so grateful for your support. Okay, now on with the show. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. This is our attempt to speak the gospel out of every corner of scripture. We believe every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Let's jump in. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. We're very glad that you are with us today. We are indeed. We are indeed. Um, we're we're going to struggle. Today. We are. I've, I'm new baby mode. Yep. Six, six, six weeks. Six weeks in. Yeah. Six weeks tomorrow in. And like it's the sleeplessness is stacking on yeah. top of each other. It, also, has a, it does have a compounding effect. It does. And then two hours of not sleeping last night between 145 and 345. Yeah, it's great. It was a great yeah. time of just being angry at my beautiful daughter. Oh, <laughs> go to sleep. <laughs> I think I could, I could hoard mass amounts of loots in the bags under your eyes. Oh, uh, thank you. Oh mm-hmm. gosh, is that a poetic way of <laughs> no, slamming this you? Is really sad. I, like, <laughs> I don't think I look that bad. <laughs> you know, I just really wanted to say something about that's that. That's why this is a podcast. That's right. Got a podcast face. Yeah, that's right. I was, God gave us faces for radio. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then I am sick, so I apologize if you hear me turning away from the microphone and coughing periodically throughout this episode. But we are here. I don't know. I have no idea what Mm -hmm. I have. My wife is going to listen to this and go, I told you to go to the doctor a thousand times. Could it be cleansed by one of the offerings here in Leviticus? It definitely could be. Um, especially if it's since Jesus bore yeah, our Jesus sins. bore our sins and our iniquities sicknesses. and our sicknesses. So we prayed before. So hopefully by the time I get through this episode, it'll be one hundred percent clean. One hundred percent clean. That would be great. Your uh, Levitical rap album. That's right. One hundred percent clean. My <laughs> David raps Leviticus. <laughs> it's lit. It's lit like the like the altar of incense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, anyway. But Seth and I are here, present conditions aside, because we have been waiting so long to talk to, about the day to of talk Atonement. about the, the day of atonement. Leviticus 16, the mountain of That's right. the Torah. We've talked about it a couple times. We'll mention it again. Um, the whole Torah forms a mountain peak, literally, and so we're, we've been climbing and climbing and climbing the mountain, wondering how on earth can we get into God's presence. We've been exiled from it at the very beginning of page one of the Bible, and we've been trying to get back in, trying to get back in, and now finally someone is about to be told how they can get into God's presence. Um, and so that's the high point of, of the Torah here. It sits pretty much in the middle of the Torah. And then in the book of Leviticus itself, it also sits in the middle. And so right, yeah, in the right. Hebraic mind, they think in chiasms, little X's. Little X's. And uh, at the very center of this X, the bullseye of the target is Leviticus 16. Both the top of the mountain and the bottom of the valley. Mm. That's an X. That's an X. Right. There you go. I don't think I that don't, means anything. I don't think that is helpful in understanding <laughs> how chiasms work. <laughs> <laughs> 
but that's fine. That's exactly what a chiasm is. The top of a mountain and the bottom of a valley. They come together. They come together. I see. All right. See? Still unhelpful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so anyway, so a few things to note um, at, at, the, at the top of this one. Start seriously. It starts very seriously. <laughs> it's like, remember when your sons died? <laughs> oh my gosh. Let's start there. Let's start there. <laughs> Let's start there. But it's very it's very important because we've gone through all these clean and unclean rules of like what what happens when someone has a leprous disease or this kind of oozing sore and we don't want you to forget as you're reading the seriousness of what's about to happen that a, a man is about to go into God's presence not not just the altar of burnt offering not just inside the uh, the uh, the the inner court where the showbread is right. and the incense is. For the very first time, someone is about to go into the holy of holies, where yeah. the mercy seat is, which is like it's the ark of covenant footstool. God's footstool. It's the footstool of His throne, where God says, "That's where I'm actually going to be." Everything else radiates from that, like a like a like you know when you drop a little droplet of water mm. in yeah. a in a ripples uh, ripples ripples the. The, the the middle is the is the what, actual what is, is God's is presence. Is it just a droplet in ripples, or is there like a scientific name for oh, the I don't thing know. that the the water droplet that starts ripple? It would be helpful because I kept going the 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 the, 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 the noun <laughs> thing the, that I need the droplet the droplet the droplet just <clears throat> sounds so anticlimactic. Yeah, but anyway, who knows? Megan knows, I think. Megan knows. Megan, what, what is what's it? What's the name? The ripple effect. That's the whole process. Oh, that's a, like, what's the droplet name? Yeah, I, I, the droplet. <laughs> the we're, droplet. Try, we're overcomplicating <laughs> it. For those of you who don't know, there, Megan Thomas sits in this podcast studio with us pretty much every single week and films the things that you see on social media. Yeah. So she's got a good job. Yeah. So she's she's si- she's been sitting here podcast gesticulating <laughs> to me, going like, "I have the answer: the ripple effect and the droplet." So Jesus or God's presence <laughs> is the droplet, right? <laughs> <laughs> Seth's losing it. Continue. Okay. God's presence is the droplet, and the holiness rings that go out, the inner court, the outer court, all of Jerusalem Israel. is and the, the ripple the effect. World. Yeah, yeah, is the ripple effect. But we're about to go into the center, the droplet, the, the, the very presence of God. And so the whole thing kicks off with, hey, Moses, remind Aaron, <laughs> like, or kind of we're being reminded right, right. as the reader, like this happened just after... Aaron's sons died for being, bringing unauthorized fire into God's right. presence. Right. So, Aaron, if you want to go into my presence and not die, here's what you need to do. Right. And so, um, what what does he need to do? What's the very first thing we're, talk, we're told to about? He has to gather a small farm of animals. <laughs> small farm of animals. <laughs> he has to gather a bull, um, a ram, and two goats. And this is okay. Th- this it's is a very small needs. farm. It's a very small farm. Yeah. I mean, it's the farm I would have if I had an acre of land. Right. I mean, this is this is a lot less volume of animals than um, even his consecration as a priest. They had way more animals to sacrifice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Day of Atonement is not necessarily important because of how many animals are sacrificed, but because of what the sacrifice does and where the sacrifice goes. Yes. Because so far, um, all the sprinkling that's been taking place... You know, you remember like every t- pretty much every time there's a sacrifice, something is done with the blood. Yeah, something's Whether, burned, yep. and then the blood's taken and it's sprinkled, smeared, yep. placed. It can. We've seen it dabbed. on people's ears and toes. We've seen it on the altar of burnt offering. We've even seen it in in the most dire of circumstances. Whenever the priest sins, we've seen the blood taken inside the tabernacle, all the way to the curtain of the holy of holies, and sprinkled on the curtain. Yep. 
but we've never seen the curtain opened and some and blood taken into the Holy of Holies and put on the mercy seat, God's right. footstool. We've not seen that yet. And that's what this day is for. Yeah. Because he says that one day a year, you've got to remember that all this uncleanliness that we just unpacked from chapters 11 to 15, which we've talked about like was a lot of even accidental uncleanliness or just the normal routines of being a human make you unclean. And that pollutes this area that God wants to dwell in. Right. And so once a year, there's a day when you need to take this purifying blood all the way into God's presence. Or more accurately, God already dwells in the land That's of right. Israel. Yep. Yep. And it's becoming polluted and it must be cleaned. Otherwise, it will be judged like Nadab right. and Abihu. Yes. So God's already present. That's good. And if we are uncare- uncareful? Uncareful. <laughs> uncareful. Careless. Like, careless. Like that pollution continues to spread right. and we yeah. are in danger of God's holiness breaking out in one sense. Right, which like, happens in the next book in right. Numbers. Yes. Right, yeah. And so um, we, we this this blood goes into God's presence, into the deepest place, and, um, and a, a man actually has to bring it in there. It's a very right. serious thing. Yeah, so Aaron has to put on a special outfit, a holy linen coat. Yeah, which is really interesting yeah, because... He, it's it's special all the way up to the end. He right. keeps that on, and, and then he puts his old clothes on after the scapegoat right. leaves. But, but what's strange about this outfit is it is very different from what he would wear any other time. What he would wear every other time is explained at the end of Exodus with the with the, four, the twelve gemstones. Yeah, gemstones and, and like crazy ornaments, yeah. and like he was dressed like a king. Yeah, in uh, in his normal sacrificing, you know, priestly roles, he, has a, he acts like a representative of the people of Israel. He has yep. the twelve That's stones, right. each representing one. But yeah. now he dresses like a, more like a slave. He dresses in plain linen clothes. He Is that what you're supposed to think of? Yes. Slaves. Yeah, it's very very boring, normal um, outfit. It, it, it's closer to. I think we talked about this in the Exodus podcast about the priest garments. Um, it's oh it, the Egyptian the what? Egyptians yeah. what the Egyptian priests wore they just wore like clean linen stuff to not draw attention to themselves and that's closer now to what Aaron is wearing and the reason is is because so far he has been the kingly priest of the people acting uh, you know as an intermediary for them but now he's going into God's court and he is he is a servant of Yahweh. Yeah, to offer a sacrifice, particularly at the beginning, for himself. Right. So he has to clean himself and then offer a sacrifice for his own sins. And this is really important. The book of Hebrews will pick back up on this. Like he is offering a sacrifice for himself as a priest. Yeah. And he's offering a bull, which is interesting. It's called a bull here, but when this is uh, first talked about back in Exodus chapter 9, or sorry, no, back in uh, Leviticus chapter 9, mm-hmm. it's called a calf. That's important because back in Exodus... The high priest Aaron made a god of a calf, like he made a oh, golden right. calf, yep. and so like in the sacrifice, there's a reminder of his sin, and so he's coming in and mm. offering the thing that he, um, he he sinned with previously, right. asking God for forgiveness for him in particular, but for wow. all priests as well. And this will get picked up again in the next chapter, which we won't talk about today. But when the pe- people are supposed to offer a goat because they're worshiping goat idols, right? So anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And we see Jesus wearing linen, a linen cloth, right, at his crucifixion. Yes. Right? Well, he, we're told it's an undergarment, and okay, I think we're yeah. supposed to assume it's linen yep. because it's told that we were told that it's a seamless garment. Mm-hmm. And John takes really great pains to say that it was a seamless garment and that it was the the, 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 centurions. the centurions who divided up and cut it up. Right. And I think that's because in 
Josephus talks about how the priest and garment, Josephus was he's this ancient a Jewish, Jewish historian. historian who's actually antagonistic to Christianity, right. so he would know have, have no reason to like want it to be more beautiful than it actually is. Right. He says that it was very common for this linen garment being described here in Leviticus uh-huh. to be made seamlessly out of one piece. So for John, a lot of commentators say like this is John's way of saying Jesus is being is identifying himself as the priest mm-hmm. in Leviticus. Right. He is sacrificing himself and he's wearing the linen of a slave. Yes. Like he's supposed like the high priest is supposed to when he goes into the holy of holies. Right. And Philippians 2 even calls Jesus that that he he was a slave and that he became obedient to the point of death, even mm-hmm. death on a cross. That's exactly right. So we're supposed to see Jesus as the new high priest who uh, wears the linen outfit and 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 ends up being all these sacrifices we're about to to see um, on the cross. So uh, let's jump in and kind of look at the different sacrifices and what they do each in turn. So one thing I think is really interesting mm-hmm. about this whole thing that Aaron does is that he does it alone. Yeah, that's true. Why does he do it alone? I mean, other than the man fit for duty who takes the goat for his azel out, which we'll talk about. Right, right, right. He, other than that. But he, when Aaron comes in, yep. he is killing an animal alone. Yep. Uh-huh. He's slaughtering it, slicing up the liver and everything else alone. Uh-huh. He takes the blood alone. He pours out the blood alone. Nobody else is seeing this. No, all of the nation oh, of Israel right. wa- waiting, watching. They just assume it's happening. It's happening on the right. inside. So, who is this for? Oh well, I mean, definitely we know that the first part of it is for Aaron, yeah, <laughs> because he needs to atonement for himself, right? Um, I don't know. I was well, I I I was. I think it's just God's watching. Yeah, it's like it's a really. If you go to any other temple. There's always hundreds of people mm. surrounding and watching, and like part of the act of sacrificing is being observed by other people being faithful, right? Even like the Pharisee in uh, the Gospels was like, he's going up and praying before the uh, the Wailing Wall or wherever right, he is. Yeah. He's like, thank God I'm not like these other people over here praying. Like part of it's like the spectacle, and so I think part of what's supposed to be um, powerful here is that the person who sees all these sacrifices is God alone. God is the one who um, is watching, mm-hmm. and he is the one who's providing a way of atonement, and he's also the one being satisfied by the way of atonement. Like, all these sacrifices are for the Lord. Yeah. And that's why they're alone. Like, you don't need other people, because it's not necessarily the sins Aaron has done against other people, although they are. Right. It's the sin. It's the fact that he's primarily sinned against God, which is what David says after he sleeps with Bathsheba. Yeah, against you and you, you alone. alone. Have I even sinned? though that there's clearly he has sinned against Uriah and Bathsheba yeah. and everybody else. But I think it's like an enacted picture. Like David is picking up on the heart of Leviticus here. Yeah, he's, and it's cool that that you get both. You know, you have in the first half. Uh, so what we have here is we have basically four sacrifices. Um, or four animals, I should say, yeah, four, four animals. animals. Uh, the first is you have a bull for a sin offering, and that's for Aaron. That's kind of the one we're talking about here, right? And that one was called a sin offering. A sin offering. And right. if you rewind back to our table of content, sin offering is particularly for um, sin that we have done, right? We have committed unintentionally or intentionally. Yep. Right. And then, and that one is probably the one you're talking about, where it's like this one's more private. It's just. Aaron and God yeah. doing business. Yes. Um, and then we have two goats in the middle, mm-hmm. and there's lots that are cast. One goat will be for lots the Lord. Lots of like dice. Lots of like dice, and one dice would have etched onto it 
for the Lord. The other would have for Azazel, and we'll talk about what that means. Okay. Um, and Am I supposed to imagine like a six-sided dice? Nope, I've always thought it's about just, this. It's just two. So they would what they would do is they would take those two etched die, and and they they, they just have two sides. Yeah, they could even just be like coins or like, like you know, okay, two yeah, coins, and they would put them in a jar. Yeah. Shake up the jar. It's like drawing names from a hat. Yeah. The priest would put a hand in and be like, "This one's for the Lord." Or like you know this for oh, goat yeah, one yeah. this goat one here yeah, we go yeah. and and he'd pull out the and, I always imagined yeah. it being two yeah. and like they have like you know four zazel one, like one side's black one side's white gotcha and it's like goat one and if they both black oh, then then it's for zazel right. but if they're both white it's for if it's mixed like nope that's not what the Lord has uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> so uh, at least what I read is that there would be these two yeah coins or and dice and they draw okay goat one here we go oh all right that's for the Lord oh this one's for zazel right Got so it. you have these two. And one um, is more private. You know, the first, the, the goat for the Lord is, is still kind of le- more leaning towards private. Yeah. Um, that, that not everybody would see what was going on. But then we shift. And as we get to the other two, the last two animals, it does become more public. And the goat for Azazel is sent outside the camp. Everyone would have seen that happen. Yeah. And then the final uh, is a ram for a burnt offering. That's for Aaron and all the people. Yeah. And they would have seen the smoke go up from that. And so it is kind of interesting that we get both. We get the private, just for God and Aaron kind of things that you've been talking about. And in the second half, we get the public assurance ones that are like, okay, the Day of Atonement has been completed. The, the rituals have been followed. The, yeah. the, the people of God have been atoned for. In verse 12, I thought this was really fascinating. And after, so after Aaron makes a sacrifice for himself, yep. he's supposed to burn it, and then he's supposed to take a censer, like a, a plate of coals, right. from the altar that he's just burned the sacrifice on, yes. and bring it into, uh, put incense on the fire, uh-huh. and bring it before the Lord, so that the cloud of the incense yes. may cover the mercy seat, so that he does not die. Yes. So why is a cloud uh-huh. necessary? Oh, it's so good. Okay, tell me about okay. this. Okay, so... So yeah, so so Aaron is or whoever the high priest is at this time, you know, at, at, right, you know right. throughout history, we, we, like you said, take this coal and this incense to create a smoke screen okay. in the holy of holies. So, so you have a bunch of hot coals and mm-hmm. incense would be just like like oh, potpourri just, kind of thing. Uh-huh. You throw it on and it creates smoke, uh, smelly good smoke. Okay, yeah, smelly right. good smoke, and it would be a ton, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so like um, as he enters through the curtain of uh, of the holy of holies, and enters in, all he can see is the smoke. You know, it's like whenever you're cooking and like you open the oven and right. smoke just comes out. Hopefully the steam. steam. <laughs> sorry, steam. Yeah, sorry, not smoke. Steam comes out. I have glasses, right? Oh, right, right. And so when, when steam comes out of the oven, I cannot see what I'm cooking for right, a good like 10 seconds. Yeah, I have to wait for it to clear. It's kind of like that. Like smoke screen is just covering his eyes while he goes in. So you in, should imagine him just holding it Holding in front, it in front of, of him. him. He doesn't lay it down or anything okay, like okay. that. Because that's know, what my first thought was like, he lays it down and it's like... Yeah, and maybe he does. Everywhere. Maybe he puts it down so he can do you know some stuff right. with the blood that he has he to like do. Oven mitts, like holy oven mitts. Maybe I was like, I was, I was like, holy that, oven mitts. That, that bowl's got to get hot if it's got coals in it, right? Anyway, it's very possible. That's also what I thought about. <laughs> and so um, he goes in, and and the whole point of this is that he does not look at the actual presence of God because if you remember just one book back in Exodus, we have the smoke of God coming down on Mount Sinai. Right. Moses asks to see the the glory of God. And God says, I will show you some of my glory, my backside, right, right, right. but you cannot look at my face and live. And so he, it says here that he has the censer and the smoke so that he doesn't mm-hmm. die. What are we told about the presence of God and death? Like in yeah. Exodus, it's you can't look at God and live. And so the point of the smoke is to create a barrier for Aaron's eyes so he doesn't look at God and die because okay. man can't look at God and live. 
And so that's the whole thing is like there's the smoke screen that keeps Aaron from actually looking at the divine presence, which is crazy when you think about it because it makes it even more real that it's like God was actually in there. Right, right, right. Like that is crazy. I was also thinking about, I'm studying Daniel right now. So I was thinking about the, this cloud rider, the son of man. Who oh, the comes cloud rider. With yeah. The clouds of heaven. Behold, he comes riding I never on thought the clouds. I forgot about that yeah. song. <laughs> uh, it's like he comes riding on clouds uh-huh. and throughout the Bible, like God is described as the one who comes on the clouds. Right. He's like coming with the clouds or his presence is like marked by clouds. But I've always assumed that like clouds equal God's presence. Mm. But here it's like clouds actually protect you from too oh, imme- too much of immediate access from that's God's presence, interesting. and so I was just, I was just I don't know what that means. That's cool. Yeah, maybe the smoke vapor from the clouds, or is even like Jesus as the cloud ri- as the cloud rider is yeah. the mediator between us and God's presence. He comes with the clouds and right. allows us to ascend to our thrones with Him yeah. as yeah. rulers alongside Him, like like Aaron in the midst of the vapor smoke of the censer. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. That's anyway. cool. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, yeah, that's a really cool thing that happens. And so uh, Aaron has a sin offering, uh, which is a bull, and he takes the blood from this bull, not just to the curtain, like we talked about earlier. He actually goes inside the curtain with the sensor, the smoke screen, and, and sprinkles the, the blood of that sin offering on the actual mercy seat. So that, way, so that way he can make atonement for it. Right. Well, that's the next thing that happens. So he after that he it doesn't really say where. So it's on the mercy seat. Yep. It doesn't say that he it's for atonement until the next thing. Like oh, it's the goat. Okay. Yeah. So I didn't know about that. I think either. it's all. I mean, or so, it, it's for purification. You yeah. know, it's. I mean, the same. It's the. It's. it's it, I don't want to say it's the same thing. It's not the same thing. I think this first part's for purification, is what most people say, and it's to purify the Holy of Holies from all the sin that has taken place, both by the priests and by the people. It's like to make it a blank slate. Yep. And then when he comes in with the goat and slaughters the goat and makes atonement for the mercy seat and atonement for the Holy of Holies, he's like adding to it God's light and life. Yeah, that's right? that's helpful. Right. Yeah, because we've talked about that um, something can be, in the, in the book of Leviticus, something can be clean but not holy. Right. Right. Uh, so you have clean and unclean and you have holy and common. Yeah. And something can't can, can only be holy if it's clean. But just because it's clean doesn't make it holy. <laughs> right. Well, right. So, or even like in our experience, like we can be cleansed from sin. Yep. But we actually need to be righteous. We yep. need to be atoned for. We need to be atoned for. We need to be full of God's life and light and yeah. goodness before we can approach his presence. It's right. not enough that we're morally neutral before God. That's right. Well, we must be given his righteousness. We yeah. must be given his goodness, his perfection, his light yeah. and life. And we see that even here in the, the tabernacle. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. And so um, I know Hebrews picks up on this idea that the priest had to make atonement for himself. Um, so since that's this sacrifice, we should probably talk about it. Um, right? Hebrews 10? Yeah, Hebrews 10. Hebrews yeah. 10 talks about all the... Like, what's great about... <laughs> if you are confused about this, just go read... Hebrews chapter 10. Yeah. Or and, 9 through 13 if you yeah, want to be thorough. Yeah. If you just, or the book of Hebrews. <laughs> or just go read Hebrews. It's great. All of it. It's really good. It explains a lot of the Old Testament. Yes. But essentially what, he, what Aaron should have been thinking the entire time he's in there is that this isn't enough. Aaron as a priest and every priest after him should have been going to the temple saying, I know that this isn't God's permanent solution. Right. Like he should have known like, oh, I have to do this again next year. That means that God hasn't forgotten our sins. Right. Like the fact that I have to clean myself every time means that I'm not really the best person to be doing this. How can I perfectly represent 
or impart or give perfect innocence back to the people of God if I have to be always sacrificing for myself too. Every time that Aaron went to the temple on the Day of Atonement, he should have been like confronted with the inadequacy of the moment Mm. of himself and the sacrifice. Like this shouldn't be working. And so he should know as he's walking into the te- into the tabernacle that this is not enough, which is exactly what Hebrews says. Yep. Hebrews says that the, that that should have been in the Hebrews' mind, but oftentimes it wasn't, and people started misplacing their trust in God with trust in sacrifices. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like since Aaron had to offer a sacrifice for himself, and because he has to offer it over and over again, it was incomplete. Right. That's why Jesus is such a better high priest. Mm. He does not have to make an offering for himself. He can perfectly take on the guilt of the nation and he can also give back perfect innocence. Mm. And at the same time, he offers a sacrifice one time himself. Perfect. The spotless goat, the spotless bull. The like, spotless he does, ram. He, does it all well, he doesn't have to do a bull because he's no, no oh, reason, that's right. no yeah, reason that's true. to. Right. But he's the perfect lamb, which yep. is not mentioned here, which I think is fascinating. There's yep. no lamb here, but... He's the perfect goat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the lamb, when he's called the lamb, that's a reference Passover. back to Passover. Yeah, Nexus. Yeah. yeah. So it's like he does what Aaron would should have always been thinking wasn't enough. Jesus becomes enough. Mm-hmm. In the, in the, like he becomes the perfect way in which we can have access with God. Right. And that's what's so cool about when Jesus does die, right? Something happens at this spot. In the in the temp in the temple, yes, right. Something happens at the curtain in the holy right. of holies, and like it's prefigured by the priest, you know, with the censer in his hands, yeah, 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 you yeah. know, maybe holding on one holy <laughs> oven mitt on the yeah. censer, <laughs> using the right hand that has a little bit of sin offering blood in it. It's and, got a lot going on. Like, yeah, oh. there's a lot going on. He's got a lot to juggle, and he he puts one hand on the curtain to the Holy of Holies and moves it back and splits it open just a crack enough to sneak Mm. in and get in there to do his business and get out before he dies, right? That tiny crack that's made for one person once a year to be in there for like one second, you know, is, is, is the prefigurement of what happened when Jesus died. What happened to that curtain? It was completely split open from top yeah. to bottom, permanently rinned, permanently ripped, completely open. And what's amazing is now not only does one person in the highest office once a year get to go in for a split second, right? Now God's presence itself comes out of the tabernacle and comes to us. Yeah. Because that's, and that's amazing. That's the story of Jesus too. Yeah. Right, because what what's so important for us to see here in Leviticus is the presence of God that was on top of Mount Sinai, that everyone was afraid of, right. and like that was so holy that He made the whole mountain holy. He's like, if you touch it, you die. You yeah, know that yeah. kind of thing. Um, that mountaintop presence has come down into a tent. Right, and right, like, right. right, and this whole thing is, is here. Yes, so maybe pause here for a second because yeah. we keep saying something. We keep saying that actually God's presence is everywhere all oh, the sure. time. Yep, but we're actually saying it's also located in a particular place. Yep, and so like let's talk about the difference. What we mean by God's presence? Oh, sure. Because I think that's going to be help. That's helpful for me. Always like people are like it's all about the presence. Like <laughs> well, we always live in God's presence. Sure. We always are interacting with God's holiness, even into eternity. God's presence will be holiness will be everywhere all the time, always. Yep. But we'll, we'll experience, experience it differently, differently. <laughs> right? So, like, what are we talking about here when we're talking about God's presence everywhere? Yeah. But also well, His presence going out yeah, from sure. someplace. So, what, one thing we have to have to have to remember is when we talk about God's omnipresence, right? His presence everywhere. We are not talking about God 
God's being and God's person being everywhere. Okay. We are talking about God's actions being everywhere. We are talking about a few things. So one, we're talking about God's immensity. So first off, that God is so big that the universe could not contain him. Right. And so right. Um, he, 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 he... And big here doesn't mean like size. Right. It's right. just like... Yeah. It, it, he's outside of, of space and time right. so much so that he covers all of it. Yeah. Like um, in, in my first book, When God Isn't There, I talk about this. And I talk about like the whole cosmos, the whole universe is like a wiffle ball. Okay. And God is an ocean. And if you put the wiffle ball in the ocean, it <laughs> yeah. completely surrounds and consumes it going in the pores right. and everything like that. The ocean doesn't cease to be the ocean and the wiffle ball does not become the ocean, but right. the wiffle ball is completely consumed by the omnipresent ocean. Right. Okay. So that's God's immensity. He's the ocean. We're the wiffle ball. But then more importantly um, is the ideas of, of God's sovereignty and, and like superintendence, his omnipotence. So it's that God is aware of everything in all places at all times. He upholds all things in all places at all times. He's in control right. of all things in all places at all times. And so when we talk about God being omnipresent, we mean that there is not one star or cell that is outside of his superintendence. Right, that, that was outside of his awareness of, knowledge yep. of, control of. Yes. Right, like he's... Right, yeah. but there's a difference between God being so large that he's the ocean where the wiffle ball. And there's a difference between God being so powerful that he knows and controls everything. There's a difference between those things and God manifesting himself and being actually present in one locale so much so that he could be seen, experienced so much to the point of, if you looked at it, you would die. Like there's a difference right, between right, those right. two things. This is, a, this is a terrible, this is not <coughs> as good as a wiffle ball analogy, but I'm thinking like if you have an author or something that you've admired, yep. like you can read about their work, you can read about everything that they've done, you can read biography, watch movies about their life, yep. you can know them and the influence they've had on society yes. intimately well, but that's different when he's standing in the room. Exactly right. And so like what here, like God is standing in the room and what you're saying is when Jesus dies, instead of us going into him through the crack to yep. be in a room with him, yep. God walks out Yes. of the temple. Right. And he walks in, like he opens up our hearts. Yes. And he walks through the crack and lives in, in us. In, in us. Exactly yeah. right. And what and the only way that's possible is because we have this we have this prefigurement of the incarnation. We have the God who is on the mountain came down the mountain to live among his people in the tabernacle. Right, right, right. right? And then in Jesus, we have the God who is on the actual Mount Zion at the in the peak of heaven right. in the temple of God right. he left that high holy mountain of heaven and came down and tabernacled among us he put on flesh and that's blood like, that's like first john it's john 1 yeah, yeah, yeah john 1 yeah and he, he first yeah john, first john, john john 1 yeah <laughs> numbers letters names. and he, he actually lived among us right and so like that is what's happening here is the holy presence of god has come off the mountain to come be with us and when he died and his body was ripped open, when he was the perfect offering for us, the presence of God was able to go out from the tabernacle, was no longer constrained because Jesus' blood was so perfect, his sacrifice was so efficient, so effective, so correct, that it, it purified the whole earth. It could purify any heart. It could purify any person. And God's presence could come and actually live with them. So why would I want to be purified? Like, right, yeah. give, me, give, me, give me a reason why. I should want God's purifying presence in me because purification seems a little like, doesn't seem like good news yet. Right. So like why, and like, because partly because 
the fact that God killed Nadab and Abihu from like approaching mm-hmm. him right. incorrectly doesn't quite sit with me. But if I let's just assume for a second, like I get it, I can't be in God's presence without being purified. Uh-huh. And God has some in a, a miracle in Jesus on the cross, a lot, purified me in such a way that I can be with Him. Mm-hmm. What happens then? Like after God lives with me, why is it increasingly good news that mm-hmm. He lives with me and not just that I can be in His presence? Because I think that's one thing. Like I'm in His presence, and yep. we can stand by, side by side. And that's good news. That's great news. It's unprecedented news. Is in the history of the Bible. Yeah. But what happens next? Right. Well, okay. So the reason why it's such good news, <laughs> and you've you've taken a few things away from me. I can't talk about the fear, right? Okay. Because you said like, right. okay, I get it that I can't come in God's presence or unless I'm pure or I would die. So apart from self-preservation right, and right, wanting right, to right. die, and then apart from the uh, what Psalm 16 would say is the best pleasure and goodness in the universe, which would be living with God. Yes. So you've taken away those two things. So now I have to come <laughs> not, with another. I'm not, I'm not no, no, trying no, to, I'm, I'm going to yeah, answer yeah, it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not answer. trying to diminish those things. No, like, yeah. yeah. 1611, at the right, God's yeah. right hand, there are pleasures, pleasures forevermore. forevermore. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Take so let's let's put those on the shelf. We've answered those. Yeah. But that's the good news of being in, in his presence. Yeah. You're asking what's the good news of God's presence, not me coming to it and being in it, but it coming to me and living in me. Yes. Okay. Second Corinthians three, right? Second Corinthians three talks about the presence of God that Moses saw on the mountain, right? Which we've yes. just talked about. It's come down in the tabernacle. Uh, and what it says is that it comes and lives in us for a very specific reason. It's so that we might be transformed into that same glory, right? Yes. It's so that we might become like the God that's in the tabernacle, mm. like, and this yeah. should blow our freaking minds because the whole like this is this is Second Corinthians three eighteen. It this sounds what, like heresy. It right. sounds like this heresy. This is what we tried to grab in the Garden of Eden. Yes, like exactly. Yes, he made us in the image of God, and then there's this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I could actually, and, and like Satan said, if you eat this, you'll be like God, and that's what we want. That's what all of us want. We want to be like God. Yeah, and the the good news of. Jesus sprinkling his blood on our hearts, coming and living in us, making us the new holy of holies in which he lives, is that we actually will be transformed one degree after after the other, one year after right. year, trial after trial, suffering after suffering, you know, like right. day after day, and t- through eternity, we'll look more and more and more like God Almighty. Yeah. Which all- is it sounds like heresy every time I say right. it, but it's all over the New Testament. It's like we the story of the Old Testament so far is like I think I can be God on better terms than God has decided on. Right. I can't trust God at his word that he's good for me in his rules. So I'm going to try to take God's promises and power or whatever else for myself. And the promise here is that, no, if you obey God, if you submit to his will and to his laws, he will give you precisely the thing that you've been trying to steal from him. He will yeah. make you like God. Right. Trust him. Yep. Trust the process and he'll do it. Yeah. And then Hebrews tells us one other thing that another benefit is that we can be confident that it will happen. It's called assurance of salvation. Yes. Like assurance that God has these purposes for us. Right. And says in uh, verse 20, by the new and living way that Jesus opened up for us through the curtain, mm-hmm. that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. So like, what? why is he sprinkling everything? Like, what does that mean for us? It means that we can know that everything we just talked about is true and will be true and will always be true, not because we 
we're able to do it right, right. because Jesus did it right for us. Yep. We talked about it uh, a couple of weeks ago, like, where are your hands? Yep. Like, if your hands are on Jesus, you can know for a fact that you are saved, that God is making you like him, that you have all that you need in him, that his pleasures are yours forevermore, and that your life is secure. Right. And, and like this day of atonement, you can picture the people of Israel, they were told to make it a day of solemn rest, to not do any work, and, uh, and to focus on what was happening. Why? Because all through the year, their sins have been piling up. They've been wondering if they were going to be able to stay in God's presence. You know, they were wondering if they were going to be judged, if, if, if God was going to abandon them, if they were actually saved, to use our language here. And you can see, like, through this whole process, the blood's being sprinkled, the sacrifices are being made, and the people can have assurance because the blood is the blood has gone into the holy place that for another year they're safe. And for us, it, we have this better promise that if Jesus died, my salvation is sure. Right? Yeah. And it's not one time that happens uh, every every year. And I've got okay, well, I got to re up this year. Right? It's the same faith that you had at the beginning is the same faith that saves you today. And so it's like. Anytime you, you, you just you, you are wondering about, am I saved? Do I have assurance of my salvation? We did a little Q&A podcast about this. Right. But you just go, where are your hands? Yeah. If Jesus died, then your conscience can be clean. And you yeah. can know that you are perfectly saved, not because of what you've done, but because Jesus has died for you. Yeah. Okay, time for one of the most controversial and debated sections of the whole bible the goat demon azazel the goat (laughs) demon (laughs) so we talked about this a second ago there's two goats that they're that they're supposed to get lots are cast one is for the lord the other is for azazel yeah and so um the one all we know about azazel is that the pre well we know a lot about this the thing surrounding azazel the priest places his hands on the goat right he confesses, confesses the, sin. the sins of Israel, yep. all the sins, and says all like four times. Yeah. I'm like, does, does he have a ledger? <laughs> What's happening there? And then it's... They probably tweeted them in. That's right. Hashtag <laughs> sins 2019. Yom Kippur 2019. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, he confesses all the sins over the goat for his And then they kind of kick it out of right. the camp, and it goes off to the wilderness. Yep. And yes. uh, it's hopefully forgotten. Yes. <laughs> and it's called the scapegoat in the King James. Yeah. Which so, is why we have the term scapegoat in our English today. Yes. If you have if you if you have the word scapegoat or you're familiar with the word scapegoat, that's what this is talking about, but that's a terrible translation. Yes. Uh, it's it's in our modern English because King James in sixteen whatever decided it should be. But, well, not King James. He wasn't he did he didn't have anything to do with this translation. Yeah, he anyway. just paid for it. He just paid for it. <laughs> we get it. We get it. We, we get, get it, it, David. Okay. okay. Yeah. So who's Azazel? Well what's Azazel? What, Where's Azazel? Or, yeah, there's a lot of things going on here. Uh, and so there's there's a couple of main theories that I want to unpack for us. Okay. Um, and So, again, the symbolism here, yeah. the idea is... There's one, underlying, uh, there's one underlying idea we need to make sure we come out of here with. It's that the sins are, are, are confessed over the, the animal, and the animal's taken outside the camp, and the sins are separated as far as the east is from the west. That's right. Taken out of the presence of the Lord. Yes. Forgotten. That's yes. what we're supposed no to matter, say. No matter what we end up thinking about what or who Azazel is, yeah. that this still this is still the idea, that this goat is a, is a symbol that our sins are taken away from us. They are, they are gone. They are far from us. They no longer have residence. Like right. it's good news. Yeah, the impurification yeah. that we have is just far it's away. Far away. We don't know where we're And more than likely, like 
literally they would never find that goat. That's right. Right. It's like yes. you couldn't find it if you if wanted, wanted to. to. Right. That's right. Yeah. There's yeah. no return. Yeah. yeah. That's the whole idea. Okay. So uh, the f- the there, there's two main ideas here. The first I'll talk about is the demon. Okay. Okay. So um, goat demons are about to be. In the next uh, it, chapter, yep, in, in in chapter seventeen, verse seven, we do hear about goat demons, and we're that we're told that they must stop making sacrifices to goat demons. Yep. Okay, but uh, is anyway, we'll we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> so, um, one idea is that there is this there's there's geographical fallen angels over yeah. different parts of the world, and in the wilderness, especially in this region, that overlording fallen angel demon was called was called azazel okay um we uh, and so and the whole idea is that this goat would with its sin right on it would go back to where it came from okay so get that thing back where, where it, it came, came from, from or so help, help me, me. <laughs> monster zinc <laughs> that's great oh so good oh that's, man i love that, that good. and so it would go back where it came from uh it would go back to the wilderness uh, back to the demons, back to the author of sin. Okay. Okay. Um, the, the the way they get there is three ways. Was that a common interpretation throughout Israel's history? So as they move locations, like to the promised land or to exile in Babylon, do they have different gods that they sent out that thing to? No. Okay. Yeah. It, That's why that may not be super convincing. We'll, we'll get there. Okay. there we, th- we'll get there. Okay. So number, so number one, here's how they get, here's how we get there today <laughs> with this interpretation. One um, is is the names for these goats. One is for Yahweh, the other is for Azazel. Okay. So people think it would be strange to have for the personal name of God and then for some place or okay. non-personal being. Right, 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 right. So like by comparison, you would think that it would be one is for this person, one is for this person. So that's, right. that's so, just more of a, um, a literary argument. Okay? Yeah, that, that, that makes a little bit of sense yep. to me. And like Azazel just could be a name lost for the evil one. You yeah, know, that exactly. Have. Right. Yeah. Uh, two is probably the strongest. Enoch, so uh, it's an intertestinal book in the Apocrypha. The book of Enoch. The book of Enoch. Uh, in chapter not that Enoch mentioned in early in Genesis. No, okay. not that one. Okay. Um, although it could be named after. Hmm. But no, anyway. <laughs> uh, Enoch 8, 1, and 9, 6 call this, there's a prince of demons, and he is named as Azel. Okay. So that's interesting. So, there, so could, we have a demon named Azazel in Enoch. Right. So okay. something around this time, there was a tradition of calling some sort Not of around spe- this time oh, okay. in Leviticus. This is way later. Okay. Way, 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 way later. So maybe it's more like Enoch looking, oh, there's a thing here called Azazel. Uh-huh. And maybe we should name that. That's the Prince of Demons. So he's obviously bought into the first idea that right. you just had and wrote right. a book about it. Uh-huh. But if, yeah, and but if, if you have the author of Enoch thinking that Azazel is a name for a, a demon, right. then, I mean, you kind of, okay, maybe that was the widespread view. Was right, Azazel right, right, was right. a demon, yeah. okay? Uh, and then number three is the wilderness is constantly referred to in the Bible as the haunt for demons. Like, this is yeah. where they live, yeah, is yeah. out in the wilderness. We even see Jesus run into Satan himself in out the, in, the in the wilderness after wilderness. his baptism to be yeah. tempted, okay? Um, so that that's kind of the, the layout there. Now, People who who subscribe to this, and I haven't written it off entirely. I really okay. haven't. Um, so all the theories are really surrounding the idea. Like not just they're not just theories; they're all pointing the same direction. It's like yep. the idea is 
weighted towards the fact that there is a personal evil force that the sin is going back to. That's right. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't belong where God is, right? right? This is where holiness and purity are. Take all the sin and give it back to its owner, right? the demons, the fallen ones, right? Uh, and that's they have to lean on that. People who, who ascribe to this view alone have to lean into the fact that this is not a sacrificial goat. Right, because right. we are—you don't need to make sacrifices to demons. Right. They're not the ones who actually punish sin. They don't, and and then yeah. even and, and then, so like you said, in chapter seventeen, yeah. verse seven, we are commanded right after this not to make sacrifices to demons. So it would kind of make sense potentially then that this is some sort of personal evil force, and the Israelites trying to shortchange or like short circuit, do what Cain did, do what Adam and Eve did, and get into God's good graces by their own means, on their own power, on their their own own ideas. It's like, oh, let's just sacrifice directly to the goat God. Right. And then our, we'll be forgiven. Yeah. So they're short-circuiting God's plan if they believe that Azazel is some kind of And that, that they need to appease. Okay. Right. But Got it. God's like, nope, don't kill it. Just set it free. Let it return back. I'm the one to whom you're accountable. I'm the one to whom sacrifices need to be made, not making, some demon. This is making more and more sense to me, just knowing the structure of the Torah as well, because after the Ten Commandments are given, Moses comes down off the mountain, and the priest, Aaron, is worshiping a golden calf, and he's incorrectly worshiping the God who's just revealed himself in his presence on the mountain. And here again, we have God revealing himself through specific commands in the temple. And now the people are responding by worshiping something else inappropriately. And they're mm. supposed to, and they, there's also, it's a goat. You know, it's like there's <laughs> sure. goat, calf, calf, you know, bull being right. offered. So I, that makes a little more sense to me as well. Right. So what, what you're saying, I think, is we know from Leviticus 17.7, that's about to come up, that the people have been making sacrifices to goat demons. Right. Because he says you must no longer. Right. So they've been doing it. Right. And so perhaps this goat for Azazel and not killing it is a way for them to understand that the demons and the the, the evil forces of of the spiritual realm don't need appeasing. Right. Just send it back to where it came from. Yeah. Uh, I'm the one to whom all sacrifices must be yeah. made as Yahweh. And that's okay. more of a literary argument too. Yep. Saying like the structure of the Torah is like sin. New laws, sin, new laws. Yes. And this feels like a parallel to what happened back in Exodus. Right. Yeah. Okay. The other argument, right? And I'm, I'm very curious if, there, if there's a synthesis here. Okay, okay, okay. I think, there's, I think there's some kind of synthesis that can be made. The other argument is that this is more of a noun, it, it, that Azazel is not necessarily a proper noun, you know, like a, 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 or a like, personal noun, I should say. Like a place. Like a, a person. Uh, but right. it's more of a, a place yeah, or yeah. even a descriptor, right? And so um, because it's very similar to a few other words. So it's the place of cutting off, okay. uh, which which really gets close to another one of its synonyms, which is a flinty place or a rocky place. Okay. And what was used to cut off foreskin, a flint. Okay. okay. So it's a place of a so rocky crag, words, uh-huh, yeah. right? Uh, and then it's also very close to a place of total destruction. Okay. So it's this this place that's cut off where you're totally destroyed by rocks, okay? Right. And the Mishnah, right? Yeah. And what's the Mishnah? Mishnah is the collected teachings, the collected discussions of the rabbis uh-huh. on the Torah. Right. So yeah. how did rabbis think about this text? How did right. Jews interpret this text? The Mishnah records that later Jews would actually take the goat to a cliff, the goat of Azazel, to a cliff and kind of like back it up, like up against the cliff until it fell off where it was cut off from the people and it would die on the rocks below. Yeah, in verse 26 it says, and he who lets the goat go to Azazel 
shall wash his clothes, assuming that it's not Aaron. That's right. Because Aaron's it's the not one. Aaron. It's, Aaron's it's putting the sins on fit it. fit for duty. And then there's another guy yep. who's letting it go to, so like guiding it towards Azazel. Exactly. Okay. So it's very possible that this person who was fit for this job was someone who could, you know. A Levite. Who yeah, was, who could yeah. wrangle a goat and yeah. take it to the place of cutting off in the wilderness, in a rocky crag area to where it would actually die. I've, I've been watching a lot of Bear Grylls recently. Oh, good. <laughs> He's, he gets lost in all these like slot canyons. Oh, yeah. You know what a slot canyon is? It's no. Like, it's like, <laughs> like most people, I don't know what a slot canyon is. <laughs> if like, if you go to Utah uh, and you see the, the, the Mount Zion National Park. Oh, yeah. Oh, funny, Mount Zion. Anyway, it's like those huge like oh, deep crevices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. James Franco gets yeah, his arm cut in one. Yeah, so, like, Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Uh, that's like the first 10 minutes of the movie. <laughs> 127 hours is the rest of the movie. The uh, So Slot Canyon is essentially, it looks flat and there's just hundreds of feet down. And so you can get lost. In, yeah. They're just amazed. So I can imagine like a place like this existing in Israel. It's like, okay, we're going to lead the goat to these, this maze of Slot Canyons and we will never find it again. Right. Yeah. Or but, a cliff. Yeah. yeah, I think here what we're arguing for is less that and more there's a rocky place that they would take them to that you could probably find in any in any geography. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you would back them off against a cliff. They would Mount drop Scott down. here in Oklahoma. Mount Scott, you know. Uh, and so that's very interesting. Um, and uh, a few other things. So one, you did mention the guy who co- has to come back and wash his clothes, which is the same thing that has to happen for people who go and make sacrifices outside the, the, the tent or outside the, the, the yeah, camp. Yeah. Um, and then every other time atonement is made, and we're told that this goat is for atonement, um, there's death involved of the animal. Right, right, right. Except here? Well, maybe not. Maybe yeah, he was maybe. taken to a place of cutting off, and okay. he was he was killed in total destruction. Um, and then there's similar there's similar commands that are made outside the camp, and it, it's always sacrifice. Okay. Uh, anyway, so it's like there are there are good arguments to for, say uh, to that say that this is that this goat was taken away and killed outside the camp, but not even by someone's hand. Yeah, and then it would even make more sense too if people are sacrificing outside the camp yep. to goat, goat demons. demons. They're like approximating this thing as closely as they can right. outside the Day of Atonement. So it makes sense, again, like if they're breaking the commands that God has just revealed about entering into his presence, just like Moses broke the commands about entering into God's presence, that they're doing it as clo- like in this very similar way. Right. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So how do we see Jesus in this? <laughs> because in a few, like, in a very literal way, the New Testament never says that Jesus is the new and better goat of Azazel. No. Okay. We're he, and even if we say it's some personal spiritual being, God, Jesus is never like given back to the devil. No. Like, so, but which, what's interesting is um, people have this view of um, redemption and atonement that Jesus goes like. So I was I was just in Africa. Yeah. And uh, and we heard a sermon about. It, it was Easter. We were there for Easter, and we and and we. It, it was a, a phenomenal sermon, actually, yeah, yeah. except for <laughs> this one part of how atonement is achieved. Okay, and it's that that Jesus went down into hell. He descended yeah. into hell. Correct. Apostles' Creed. Yeah. Right. Nicene Creed. Yeah. Yeah. Apostles' Creed. Apostles yeah. Creed. And um, ascended into descended into hell, and Satan was there, and he had to be bought out. And Satan's the lord of the underworld, yeah, yeah. and he has everyone's ledger, and he's like, what right do you have to free these people? And Jesus is like, I died, here's my blood. This is what C.S. Lewis did in uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, so I'm going to spoil it because I think it's been out for decades. <laughs> yeah, But like, the witch has this leverage on Aslan right. because of this magic before the dawn of time 
where you can replace somebody, but you have to, like, Aslan, like, the witch is owed somebody's blood. Yes. Yeah. With right. The, so, like, yeah, yeah. And so Aslan pays it, yeah. right, with his own death. But that is not the gospel. <laughs> Satan does not need anything. Like, he is not the one to be paid. He's being punished. He's be, he's he's the first one thrown into hell in yeah, Revelation. He's the ultimate cast out one. He is not. Like, Satan is not the Lord of Hell. He is right. not. He's not the chief torturer. He is the chief tortured. Okay. Yeah. Like, he, yeah, yeah, he is yeah. not the one getting the whips and the irons out. Like, right. He little, that's not little pitchfork. Yeah. No. He's, he's got no pitchfork. He's got no pitchfork. He's the one getting pitchforked. Okay. Like, <laughs> we need to fix this in our brains. And so Satan is not the one that there has to be payment made to. And so that's why a lot of uh, we we need to be careful with this this uh, goat for Azazel thing that we don't try to set a precedent that the New Testament doesn't right. answer. I mean, it, and it's a historical inaccuracy. The reason why C.S. Lewis wrote it into the Chronicles of Narnia because it was a common medieval misunderstanding. Right. Well, it's actually just a lot of medieval theology books. And he was a medieval he was, that's nerd. What he, that's what he <laughs> yeah. did. Like, he just read medieval literature yeah. for, for a living. <laughs> yes. And so, um, but... Nevertheless, there is something going on here with Jesus um, and this goat to Azazel. Um, Alistair Robert, Roberts? Alistair Roberts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he had a, a, a great blog post on this. And uh, he actually made some, as he always does, he, he was the co-author of Echoes of Exodus with Andrew Wilson, who's, yeah, yeah. who we've had on the podcast. He's so good at seeing patterns throughout scripture. Oh, we should have him on. I know, he's amazing. Alistair, if you're listening, no, he's not listening. He's not listening. <laughs> but um, anyway, uh, he, he even showed that there's like there's two goats uh, throughout Genesis, a couple times, like there's there's two goats uh, in the story of um, Jacob and Esau, and then in in a certain sense, Ishmael is the goat for Azazel sent out into the wilderness, oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Isaac is the goat for sacrifice that's almost sacrificed by Abraham. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, he does yeah, this yeah. all throughout the Old Testament, and then he gets to the New Testament, and we have we have Jesus at his baptism, right, and he comes out. Of, ba- of baptism, right, 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 and right. he goes into the wilderness. He's the goat that goes into the wilderness, yes. right? But he comes back having mm. not been tempted, having right. not fallen to sin. Uh, after taking our sin on himself, this was a baptism for the repentance, for the remission of sin, the or repentance of sin right, right, right. that he went under, took our sins out into the wilderness. Left him there. Left them there, came back, and then was the other goat as well, the goat mm. for sacrifice. Whoa. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Thanks, That's Alistair Roberts, cool. for that one. And so in some sense, there, the, I feel like the New Testament is seeing Jesus as both goats, yeah. that, that Jesus does go out into the wilderness, sees Satan himself, interacts with him, conquers the temptation. He doesn't pay him off. There's no, right. he, just, he, he just doesn't sin. He just doesn't sin. Right. And so he's able to bring pure, purity and holiness and sinlessness both in the camp and outside of the camp. He's yeah. able to cleanse the whole world. Right, he's able right, to make right, everything right. holy. Israel. I wonder if hel- that that Jesus helps us reinterpret a little bit too. Mm. Leviticus, yeah, like reading our Leviticus in light of Jesus. Like, if G- if Jesus is the second goat that goes out and his, the, our sins are supposed to be lost, like, and Jesus goes out and loses them, yep, and then comes back. Yeah, I, I think I think I see what what you're getting at here. It's kind of like so we we saw the wilderness in Leviticus as the place where sin goes. It's the most sinful place. That's where if we are gonna go with the Azazel demon, you know, right. idea, that's where the author of sin lies and the the prince of sin is. It's the most sinful place. Not that he's like collecting sins. No, 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 no. But no. like 
that's just sinfulness where, goes there. That's, yeah, and it's like it just and it kind of just keeps going there and keeps going there. It's the most sinful, most unholy, most impure place, and that's where Jesus chooses to go, and yet he is tempted by the chief tempter and yet does not sin. He goes to the most sinful place and doesn't sin. He goes to the most unholy place and remains holy. He goes to the most impure place and remains pure. And then he comes back to us and says, you can do this too, right? And so it gives mm-hmm. it gives even more weight, I think, to what the author of Hebrews says when he says that he was tempted in every way as we are and yet yeah. was without sin, yeah. is that he did it in the worst possible place where sin lives right? and yet did not sin. Like geographically, like yeah, imaginationally, yeah, yeah. but like in another sense, like, Jesus, like we are Azazel. Oh yeah. Right? Like we are where sin lives. Yes. It's in us. And Jesus comes to us. Yep. Takes our sin and moves it away and turns our wilderness into the Garden of Eden. Yes. Right? Like he's remaking us in his image. Mm -hmm. New creation works. Yeah. Because we were Azazel and now we are the new heavens. Right. And there's even um, a spiritual element to that, that we, we followed the prince of the power of the air as Ephesians right. 2 talks about, right? Yeah. We were slaves to uh, uh, the demon Azazel. Right. We were slaves to Satan. We were slaves to sin, slaves to the evil forces in the spiritual world. And yet when Jesus came, he conquered that throne of our hearts. He and conquered he, Satan in he, the wilderness. That's right. And he conquered Satan in, in our, our hearts, hearts too. Exactly. Yeah. And he dethrones him and he becomes Lord of our hearts. Like mm. no demonic oppression, no no possession, no sin d- domineering over us. Jesus comes and beats all the spiritual forces that control us and constrain our wills. He comes and he is he, he conquests the wilderness of our hearts and becomes the Lord of those as well. Okay, and there's one last oh, yeah. quick sacrifice before the end. It's the it's it's the ram, right? And what's fascinating here, Aaron takes off the the linen slave clothes mm. and he puts back on. Oh yeah, his, his priestly royal garments, royal garments representing the people, and he kills the ram mm-hmm. for atonement of Israel. And it's a burnt offering. The so, whole things burn up. Whole things burn up. And, and that's, remember, that's, remind that's, me, what's the purpose? Like remind us of what's the purpose of a burnt offering? Back? Right. Like it's for well, yeah, it's for a lot of things. Is what we said. Remember, the table of contents tells right. us what it is, not what it's for. So what is it for here? So what it's for here is it says to make atonement for Aaron and all the people. And so, so far we've made atonement for Aaron. We've made atonement for the Holy of Holies and the tabernacle. But we've yet to then make a once yearly sacrifice for Israel itself, herself. Right. And that's what this is for. This is to say in the most public way ever, take this big old ram put it up on the altar of burnt offering, set the whole thing on fire with the fire of the Lord, and the smoke rises up. All the people are watching on this day of solemn rest, knowing that everything that's been accomplished on the day of atonement is done. It's This is the full stop at the end of the sentence. This is mm-hmm. the period at the, at, the sen- at the end of the sentence that the day of atonement has been written, that yeah. Israel is clean for another year, period. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. Yep. It is a Sabbath. Yeah. It is a rest. And so what we what, what the good news for this for us is we have one final ram to look to, right? It's the burn most up. burn up for us, all of him. We can look to Jesus on the cross and we can see that we've been purified, that we've been made holy, and that we can take not a day of solemn rest. Our whole lives can be solemn rest because every single day is the day of atonement. We can look to Good Friday every single day and have rest from our work, rest from our unclean consciences, rest from our guilt, rest from our shame. And we can know that we are saved, that we are at peace with God, that he lives in us, that we are pure and holy and blameless. And uh, we can do that because there's been one priest who offered the one sacrifice once for all, 
And that was Jesus on the cross. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to creating free, gospel-centered media that speaks the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. So to join us in our mission and view our resources, we invite you to visit SpokenGospel.com. Thank you.